And uh, we've been in James chapter 5, or in James as a whole, as a book, and, and looking at this New Testament small little book. And uh, it has been power packed, though. How many of you been feeling like you've been getting a left punch, a right punch from James? Anybody in here? It has been intense. Uh, we've talked about trials and suffering. We've talked about tests. We've talked about our tongue. We've talked about um, functional faith, how to make our faith work on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday last week. Um, I don't even know what we preached last week. Uh, was, I'm sure it was that good. But we are, in, uh, we are in the fifth and final. We're coming to the home stretch today. And uh, we're going to be looking at a couple verses in James chapter 5. So James chapter 5, verse 16 is, is where we're going to begin. And so let's, let's go there. If we can start in James chapter 5, starting in verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Come on, how many of you know prayer works? It works. It says, Elijah, now here's our, here's our man, all right? This is the guy that we're going to be studying today. It says, Elijah was a human being. That's good to know. Thank you, James. But I want you to see this. He says, even as we are. So there is this tendency that within Scripture, when you read about people in Scripture, that they look almost superhero-ish. They, they, they've got kind of like the, the Iron Man or Superman complex going on because if you see some of the things that these people do, you would go, there's no way that's just a normal guy. And James wanted to just make sure that you and I knew this is just a normal dude. You'd see him at Walmart, okay? He's a normal guy. And this is what he says. He prayed earnestly. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. He said he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. How many wish you could do that? Rain, stop. Rain, start. Be awesome. Now, the reason I uh, am bringing this verse to you to, for us to talk about today is because there's so much more to this verse than what you actually read. So we see actually the highlights Elijah prays uh, to, for it to not rain, doesn't rain. Elijah prays to rain, and it rains, and that's all that you get. But there is so much more to this story than you can even imagine. And so today, I am titling today's message called The Making of a Rainmaker. The Making of a Rainmaker. How, anybody in here love to watch uh, behind-the-scenes stuff? Like if you watch a movie, you like to go watch the behind-the-scenes, how they made the movie? I don't know if any of y'all like that. Lindsay and I will do that at times. There's a movie we really, really like to watch. We will go behind-the-scenes and, uh, and watch YouTube clips of how they made it. I'm, I'm just intrigued by that. I love seeing successful stories. You, you, know, you see the successful stories of people and going back and seeing what all they went through to become successful. So, you know, as of recently, I've been starting to work out more and more. And, uh, and so I, I found out that there's a guy that's in CrossFit that is the four-time most winningest champion of CrossFit. His name's Rich Froning. And uh, I heard about this guy a while back, and I found out that he was not only an uh, incredible athlete, but he was also a Christian. He loved God. So I was like, man, I got to get to know this guy. So I bought his book, and on vacation during the summer, I read the entire uh, autobiography of his story, where he came from, how he got into it. I mean, all the backstory, all the hardship, all the stuff that he went to. I watched all of his YouTube videos. I watched all the documentaries. My wife thinks I have a little man crush. Um, <laughs> I kind of do. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> Wish I looked as swole as he did. Um, he's got a big old tattoo that like comes down the side. Lindsay's like, you going to get one of those? I was like, don't try me. Um, it's a Lindsay. And, um, <laughs> uh, and so uh, I can't. I'm a wuss. I wouldn't even get that. So, uh, so yeah. I, I just love looking at the backstories. I love looking at what it made to, you know, we celebrate, our society celebrates people who are successful, but how many of you know they didn't just get there overnight? Like they went through some stuff to get to where they are today. And, 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 and James put Elijah in his last chapter and he just kind of throws them in and shares these two huge highlight moments. He prayed, didn't rain, he prayed and it rained and you're like, Wow. But you don't realize how much James went through before he could even do that. 
And so I want us to go, we're going to go back to 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you got your notes with me, wave your notes at me just so I can see them. All right, come on, somebody. All right, we're going to take some notes today. We're going to begin in 1 Kings chapter 17. So let me catch you up real quick with the story before we jump into 1 Kings 17. If you go look in 1 Kings 16, um, there has been 20, 20 kings um, that have all been ungodly. Ahab is the current king when Elijah comes into the picture. He is the most ungodly king that they have had. The Bible says that he has provoked God to anger. That's how bad it is. He's married to the most wicked woman on the planet. Her name is Jezebel. I hope none of you have called your child Jezebel, all right? Name your daughters that. All right, so she is wicked, wicked, wicked. They are uh, worshipers of a false god named Baal. They've actually built a temple for him. They've done all this stuff to kind of celebrate this new God that was going to come in. Now, just as a side note, and you'll see why this is, why this is important in just a minute, Baal is the God of rain, all right? File that away. He's the God of rain. So here we are. Elijah shows up on the scene. A lot of wickedness going on. Kings are, uh, are, are ungodly. And it says, now Elijah, the Tishbite, of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, so this is, he goes to the king and he says this, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So when God wants to confront a wicked king, he doesn't raise up an army, he raises up one man. One man that's gonna stand up for righteousness. So he goes and he has, sets up this appointment with the king and he tells him, listen, for the next three years, there's not, no rain, no dew. And you go, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, because in those days, more than ever, the, the rain was the prosperity. It was the way that they, their economy ran. No rain, that means no crops. No crops, that means no food. No food, that means people are dying. Um, there's a lot of bad things that are going to begin to happen. And so he realized this is really, really bad news. So, so this is the, the beginning of where we see Elijah in, in the Bible. He starts right here. Telling Ahab, no rain except by my word. Okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to begin to see kind of the journey now that God brings Elijah through. So this is how I want you to picture everything that I do. Uh, oftentimes I have visuals with it. Any of y'all visual learners? Anybody visual learners? Okay. So for all my visual learners in here, I, I learn through watching and, uh, and putting myself into the story. And so I want you to picture this as a book or a movie. We're going to go through different scenes. And so every scene is going to represent a different aspect of Elijah's life. So I have chapter one on your notes. So let's imagine we're reading a book Chapter one of Elijah would be this, isolation, isolation. The very first thing that God is going to bring Elijah to is a place of isolation. So look with me in uh, the next, next verse, 17, verse two, says, and the word of the Lord came to him. Now this is so important because you're gonna see this over the course of uh, our time together, how much God is speaking to Elijah. Hey, which by the way, do you know God's speaking to you? You know that? He's always speaking. If you're not hearing God, it's not because he's not speaking. It's because you're not listening. God is always speaking to us. And it says, the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and, and hide yourself and hide your kids, hide your wives. It's going to get crazy up in here. You know, you were thinking that whenever you saw that, right? Hide yourself by the brook of Cherith. Okay, so he tells, God tells him, okay, you went and did the message, great. Run, <laughs> get out of there, and I want you to go to the brook of Cherith, and I want you to hide yourself. Now, if you just side notes for those who like deeper things, Cherith actually means to be cut off or cut down. That's the word Cherith. Cherith means to be cut off or cut down. So this is what God is telling him. Uh, Elijah, I'm going to have to kind of cut you off for a little bit and put you in a place where you're going to be by yourself. You're going to be isolated. You're, you're, you're not going to be around a bunch of people. This guy does not like you right now, and so you're going to be by yourself. You're going to be isolated. And, and this is what he does, and, and I love this, because God is going to teach him how to depend on him. 
God is going to teach him that you can't depend on what you used to depend on. You're going to have to now depend on me. And so this is one of the ways. One of the ways he teaches them how to depend on him is he says, all right, so this is what's going to happen. I'm going to bring some ravens, and they're going to fly in in the morning. They're going to be dropping off Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits to you in the morning and at night. Oh, y'all don't believe me? You can go read it for yourself. It says God going to bring biscuits and bread and meat. Which, by the way, just to let you know, God is not a vegetarian. He sent meat. Okay, just want to let everybody in here know. He didn't say vegetables. He didn't say kale. He didn't say glucose intolerant. He said bread and meat. That's my diet. (laughs) So he says, I'm going to send, I'm going to provide for you with birds, with ravens. Nobody likes ravens other than people in Baltimore. Nobody. It's the only people who likes ravens. They're dirty birds. But he says, listen, here's how I'm going to provide for you. Dirty birds are going to be bringing food to you every morning and every night. How many know that's, that's a miracle? I love some birds to drop off Walmart groceries at my house every night. That would be awesome. And that's how he does. He provides for them. He's teaching him how to depend on him and how to lean on him And then this is what it says. It says, when the brook dries up, then God's now going to show him how he's going to provide for him in another way. So the first way is through birds. I'm going to provide for you this way. And then it says, when the brook dried up, he's going to move him now. So look at the next verse. Let's go to the next one. In uh, verse 8. Then, now watch it again, the word of the Lord came to him. I don't know about you, when I read my Bible and I read things that are repeating, I'm always underlining them. Because it means God's doing something. He's saying something. The word of the Lord came to him again. Here we go again. And this is what he says. Arise, go to Zarephath and dwell there. And now watch this. And I have commanded, God says, I've commanded a widow to what? To feed you. So if you go and you read the rest of the story, he shows up in Zarephath and he he finds a widow. And he tells the widow, "I, I need you to make me something to eat. I'm hungry. And this is what she says. Watch this. She says, I only have enough food left in my pantry for me and my son. Like, I'm, I have nothing left. And he says, well, God told me that you're going to provide for me. And so she says, all right. So she cooks him, you know, a meal. And she goes and she brings it to him. And, and he eats. And the Bible says that she goes back to try to find out how much she's got left for her and her son. And her pantry's full. <laughs> says, actually, her jar's full. But that's modern language. Pantry's full. And so she's like, well, I guess we can do dinner. (laughs) What you want? (laughs) Chicken biscuit? No, anyways, uh, (laughs) kind of sick of chicken biscuits at the moment. So, and she makes some dinner. She goes back the next morning. The pantry's full. The Bible says as long as she was feeding the man of God, God was always providing for her. Isn't it amazing how God will sometimes send you to people that don't have the supplies to actually help you, but they do what they can with what they got, and in turn, they bless you, and they get blessed at the same time? Isn't that amazing? God's called us. Listen, you might not be the wealthiest people on the planet, but how many know we can be the most generous? Generosity has nothing to do with wealth, by the way. It has a lot more to do with the attitude of the heart. And she said, you know what? If God told you, then guess what? It was a step of faith for her. And it was a step of faith for him. He had to let the widow provide for him, and she had to trust that God was going to provide for her. And, and during that whole time, they, they both were provided for. Well, here's the question, but why is God doing all of that? Why, why is he going through this? Because here's, here's, I want you to write this down. What you see as isolation, God sees it as preparation. What you see as isolation, God sees as Preparation. Reminds me of a, of a single mom. She was uh, living in an apartment with her and her son, and she could not barely pay her bills. And every morning she would get up and she would go, God, thank you today for breath and thank you for life. And God, we thank you that you are our provider. The Bible says that you are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And today I'm believing that you're going to provide for me. And uh, she kept doing it all throughout the week. And, the, uh, and an atheist could hear the walls were so thin. And he'd come by and he'd say, you are full. There is no God. Every morning she would get up and say the same prayer, and he would get up and go outside and continually remind her, you are a fool. There is no God. So one day she got up and said, God, I I don't even have enough food to feed my son and myself today, God. You need to really show up today. The atheist overheard her, 
and he actually went to the grocery store and bought stuff for her, came back, put it on her doorstep, rung the doorbell, and hurried up and ran into his house. She walked outside, saw all the groceries, and said, God, you provided for me. He slings the door open. He says, see, you're a fool. I bought that for you. She says, God, thank you. You provided for me, and you made Satan pay the bill. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know. <laughs> Come on, how many, know, how many of you seen God be a provider to you? When you didn't know how it was going to happen, you didn't know how it was going to go down, but God was teaching you something. Hey, listen, isolation, when you feel isolated, when you feel by yourself, it could be, it could be that God is preparing you for something greater. Many of you don't know maybe my story. You've just kind of come into our church within the last one or two years, and, and you just kind of know what you know from being here as, as, uh, as little as you have been, but our, our church started 17 years ago, and and I was a city boy, raised in Houston, raised in Dallas, I mean, very big cities, moved to Lafayette, which was kind of a, 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 uh, an adjustment for me, even in a smaller town. And then when I actually moved here, I moved to Welsh. Come on, give it up for Welsh in the house. Any Welsh people? I left a blessing in Welsh. It's a deposit, all right? There's anointing there. And uh, I, most people don't know, when I moved to Welsh, I lived in a barn. No lie. It was a little loft. It was a one bedroom, like one studio loft. There was cows and chickens below me. Like I saw those on TV. Like I wasn't wake, woken up by them. And, and, and I, I, it, I was there for over a year, no hot water, no air conditioning. How many of you know God called me here? And I would be like, God, there would be nights, I'd be like, and I had no bed. I had a couch. This is no lie. You can ask my wife. I had a sheet on a couch, and that sheet never got cleaned. Anyway, so, yeah, y'all should feel bad for me. And I ate Hot Pockets all the time. And so, it was, uh, it was rough. It was rough. And um, a lot of people see this. They didn't see that. But can I tell you, that was preparing me for this. Are y'all with me? We're praying, God, take me out of this season. You don't realize God's preparing you for the next. Isolation to God is preparation. He is preparing you for the husband that is to come. He is preparing you for the family you are to have. He is preparing you for the next faith step that you're going to take. Well, how do I know that? Because we see that in the life of Elijah. Three years, three and a half years, actually, he was fed by birds and a widow. Think about how humbling first that is. And God is preparing him through all this to realize that his dependence needs to be from God and God alone. And what was it preparing him for? Glad you asked. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 1 says, After many days, look at the trend here, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. So God is now speaking. So three years, really, God didn't speak anymore. He said, go to, go to the brook. Get the birds, go to the woman and the widow, and then God didn't say anything. God's going to speak again, and now God's going to give him a new assignment. The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab. And now watch this. I, speaking of God, I will send what? I will send you rain. I'm going to send some rain. So what was he preparing him for? The greatest showdown ever. So, so Elijah goes to King Ahab, and uh, you got to read that whole story, and I don't, we don't have time to read it, but he shows up, and Ahab sees, sees him, and he says, you're the troublemaker. You're the one who caused all this. And Ahab says, no, your sins caused all this, not me. And he says, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to prove that my God is real. He says, Ahab, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get your 450 prophets that worship Baal. I want you to get you to 450 prophets that worship, uh, or your 400 prophets that worship Asherah. And I want you to get them all together. And we're going to have a battle of the gods. He says, okay, what do you want to do? He says, we're going to build two altars. We're gonna, you're going to slay a cow. I'm going to slay a cow. We're going to put it on the altar. You're going to pray to your God. I'm going to pray to my God. Whichever God brings fire, that's the God. And he says, game on. Let's do it. So he gets all of his 850 prophets, false prophets, gets them all together, and then there's Elijah. Team of one. He's number one on his team. He's the MVP. 
And these 850 prophets are slaughter their, 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 uh, the cow, they put them on there, and so they're doing all their rain dances. Because remember, Baal is the god of rain. So they're doing all their little rain dances, and I'm not even going to, I don't even know what they are, but they're crazy. And the Bible says that, that, they, that they even begin to start slashing their wrists, cutting themselves, bleeding everywhere, thinking that in doing that, they're showing their God, you know, that we really mean business here. We need you to show up. And, and I love Elijah because Elijah is just like a chilled back dude. And um, he's, a, he's a guy like me in this way. Watch. So it says, at noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, hey, you might need to speak up a little bit, for he is a god. Hey, is he, uh, is he musing, or is he, did, did he need to go to the bathroom? Is he relieving himself? Come on, how many know this is fun? You don't need to do drugs. Just do the Bible. This is good stuff right here. Is he, is he, is he you know, is he going and taking care of some business or something? Is he, is he on a vacation? Maybe he's on a vacation. Is he, oh, you know, maybe, maybe he's asleep. Is he asleep? You need to go wake him up. So he is just ragging them. And all of a sudden, they're, you know, they're still cutting themselves. So eventually, Elijah says, okay, it's enough, enough. I'm, it's my turn, all right? So he goes, gets all the prep work, gets his cow on there, gets everything, and he tells everybody, he says, hey, listen, um, I, I need some guys, and I need you to go, and I need you to fill up water jugs. And now I want you to put all water jugs all on top of it. So they go fill up water jugs, and they're, they're just dousing all of his sacrifice. And he says, oh, hey, hold on, do it again. They go and get more water, do it again. They do it three times. Why would you put water on something you're trying to call fire down from? <clears throat> because you walk in faith. You believe God can do the impossible. And so sure enough, he walks away and just prays, God, would you just answer me? God, what you did for the last three years for me, would you do this for this in this moment? <sighs> Fire comes down. The Bible actually says that it not only disintegrated and, and, and uh, destroyed all of the cow and all of the wood, it actually destroyed all of the rocks, that there was not even a lick of moisture anywhere. The Bible says that all of the people got down and said, okay, that's the God. And I'd be like, yo mama. I told <laughs> Come on, that's how, that's, how, that's how I'd be. I'd be like, I told you, I told you. So needless to say, the, all the people uh, are, are now going, okay, this is the true God. The rain God undoubtedly was going to the bathroom. He's not real. This is the true God. Which actually brings to what happens next. So um, Elijah then tells King Ahab, all those 850 prophets, bring them to me. So he brings it to him, and you know what he does? Kills them all. One dude, didn't even say he had a team. That's a lot of people. Kills all of the false prophets. Kills them all. And then we catch up with him right after that in verse 41. And Elijah says to Ahab, now, after he's killed all of the prophets, he says, Ahab, go up, eat, and drink, for there is what? Everybody say it out loud. There's a sound of the rushing of rain. I can hear it. Rain's coming. Remember, God said it's going to rain. I'm gonna, he says, rain's coming. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees, and then he says to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. All right, so let's get a uh, Lukey. Come here, Luke. We always got to use pastor's kids as illustrations. All right, so Luke, you're my servant. All right, so there is... It's about to rain, okay? I need you to go up the mountain, and I need you to tell me if you see any rain, okay? Go. Get over there, all right. So, so in the meantime, Elijah is on his knees, and he's praying before God, all right? And the Bible says, and when the servant went and looked up, there was, everybody say it. There was nothing. Okay, so now the servant's got to come back. Wait, hold on. You're going to come back a little bit slower because you're realizing I got some bad news I got to give to the prophet, and this prophet just killed 850 people. How many know he probably don't like bad news? So he came and said, hey, what'd you see? There's nothing. What? Don't kill me. There's nothing. <laughs> There's nothing. All right. 
Go again. So he sends them again. How many, how many of you have, have had some situations in your life where people have said there's nothing, there's no chance, that's not happening? Anybody have had some things like that? A doctor said there's nothing we can do from here. Somebody's spoken over you and said there is nothing that you, that you can do. You have, there's nothing special about you. There's nothing. And this is the second chapter, if you want to write it down. This is the chapter of the invisible. It's the invisible chapter. Because how many know when it comes to faith, sometimes we can sense things before we see it? We can feel things happening before we see it happening. How many of you have ever felt something about to happen? You feel like God's about to do something, but it's not actually, you don't see it actually happening. Anybody in here? That is a, the invisible side of faith. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. Well, let me ask you this real quick. Is it true? Is there no, was there nothing? Some of you are like, is this a trick question? Kind of is, actually. Because here's, here, I want you to get this part. Just because you don't see anything happening doesn't mean God's not working. Come on, have you seen that play out in your life? Just because you don't see anything happening doesn't mean God's not working. Just because you're waiting doesn't mean God's not working. How many know when you don't see it, God's still doing something? He's brewing something. He's getting something ready. So, so he says, all right, so come on, come on back, come on back, come on back, come on back. <clears throat> This is where he is. We're, we're, we're going to have some fun with this because let me show you what the next verse says. It actually says this. Can you put up the next one? It says, and he said, go again. <laughs> go again. Seven times. All right. See if you find something. Come on. Come on, come on back. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hurry. <clears throat> All right. What did you see? Nothing. Go again. All right. Go again. <clears throat> Tell me what you, and how many know this is what faith feels like sometimes, Right? How many, know, you, how many of you prayed one prayer and it, and it got answered right away? No. What'd you see? Okay, go again. All right. So this is what happens. This is how faith works. You pray and nothing happens. And so what do you do? You pray again and then it doesn't happen. And you pray again and you don't see what's happening. And you, and you keep going. Go again. What'd you see? Go again. All right. So it just continues, continues, continues. How many of you know that Elijah didn't go? He sent his messenger because I think that if he went and actually saw that, he would have got discouraged. And so he sent somebody else because he wanted to continue to have faith. What'd you see? Okay, go again. All right. So are y'all, y'all seeing how this is playing out? Listen, something in your life has died and you have stopped because it's not happening and you need to pray again. You need to believe again. You need to trust again. You see anything? No. Okay. Take a break. <laughs> This is how faith feels. How many know this is how it feels when you're raising kids? Say it again. 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 How many know this is how it feels when you're waiting on God? I'm waiting again. I'm waiting again. I'm praying again. I'm praying again. I'm praying again. This is how it feels in our lives so often because God doesn't always live up to your expectations, but he does always live up to his word. And his word was, it's going to rain. That's his word. It's going to rain. And how many know when it doesn't look good yet, God's not finished yet? Some of you need to hear that. When it doesn't look good yet, God's not finished yet. Your marriage don't look good yet, God's not finished yet. Your relationships aren't where they're supposed to be, God's not finished yet. Your healing is not where it is, where you believe God's got a healing. He's not done yet. Pray again. Believe again. Trust again. What have you stopped praying for that you need to start praying again for? How many dreams have died in here and you need to dream again? Go again. Remember, James chapter 5 said that, that, that Elijah prayed earnestly. The Bible will say it in the, in the King James Version, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. You know what that means? Consistently doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. The great people that are successful in life, you know why they're successful in life? Not because they did it one time, because they did it all the time, every time, all the time, every time, all the time, every time. They stay consistent and consistent. And I'm going to tell you, so many people are discouraged in faith because they prayed once and it didn't happen and prayed twice and it didn't happen. And you keep praying again, 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 and I want you to go again. And I want you to see what happens when he comes back on the seventh time. Because how many know faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen? Now watch this. Ready? 
1 Kings 18, verse 44, says this. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, you see a little cloud. All right. So what you tell him, so it's not nothing, but it's not much. Right? It's a little cloud. The size of what? Read the verse. (laughs) Size of a man's hand. Okay, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Come on, y'all give it up for Luke. Good job, Luke. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what size it is. I mean, it's little. It's tiny. It's a little thing. It's a little thing. It's a little thing. How many know sometimes when you pray and you're asking God for something, and then it goes from nothing to just a little thing. It's not everything, but it's a little thing. It's not nothing. It's something, but it's not everything. How many know we can still get discouraged because it's not everything? We wanted everything, and God was doing a little thing. But how many know in God's kingdom, a little thing is a big thing? It's the small things that God celebrates. Write down this. Chapter 3 would be insignificance. Insignificance. That we think that little things don't matter. And Elijah realizes, no, 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 the big things, I mean, the little things do matter. They're, they're a big deal. Uh, and let me show you how this plays out. N- notice when the servant came back, the servant didn't say, Elijah, guess what? There's a huge thunderstorm brewing. No, he says, like there's a, I think there's a wisp, maybe. I see, I see a little thing out there, size of a man's hand, but it's, it's there. Zechariah puts it this way. Zechariah says, don't despise small beginnings. God rejoices. He celebrates to see the work what? Begin. Come on, how many know sometimes it takes more faith to start than it does anything else? Just to start something. Some of you, to get here today took more faith than you've had all year. To just get here. It's a start. But how many know God rejoices in the small starts? He celebrates the small starts. He celebrates the small things. You see, it's a little cloud, but man, Elijah's pumped. He is so excited because he realizes a little thing is about to be a big thing. And for many of us, we look at little things and we think they're insignificant. We look at the little stuff that we have to offer God and we think that's an insignificant. We look at, if you're a mother and you think about the, the vacuuming that you do and the diapers that you do and it looks so insignificant, it's not insignificant. Little things will become really big things. You look at your job and you're constantly doing the little things, but those little things are big things. God loves small beginnings. He is building from the small. He rejoices in the small. I told y'all you know, a little bit about when I came here 17 years ago, being in a, you know, a little loft, uh, it was very small, and, and it, was, it, it was what it was. It was tiny. But most of you don't know. You know, we, people see our church now, and they go, man, y'all are growing, and it's huge. Did you know that our church was under 200 for 14 years? It was little. It's a little church. But I remember sitting with Pastor Bob, and I love how much of a visionary he is, and I love how relentless he is to never give up. And we would sit in staff meetings and lunches, and he would say, I'm, I see it. I'm, I'm going to tell you. This is what it is. We're just going to be faithful with God, God, God gives us. And if we be faithful with the people that God gives us, God will continue to give us more and more and more. And that's actually biblical. The Bible says if you are faithful with the small, he'll give you more. So some of you are praying that God would give you a raise, but the problem is, is you're not faithful to give God the little part, so why would God give you the big part? Oh, I just stepped on some toes there. All right. Y'all with me here, though? You say, okay, God, when I got more money, then I'll tithe. No, you won't. I promise you. Because it speaks more about where your heart is now than it does then there. You think, okay, when I get that, when I get that next position, when I get that next thing, then I'll, I'll be a hard worker for our business because then I'll be a manager. No, 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 you won't. Because you're lazy now. You'll be lazy then. You'll just have a title with it. The truth is you probably won't even get the title because you're lazy now. If you're small and realizing that your small part, your small part is significant, that God will use you in the small. God blesses the small. It's the little things. Y'all with me? 
coming home and being faithful to your spouse, being faithful to your husband, loving God, doing, getting up every day, spending time with God. It seems so insignificant. It seems so small. This is, I'm just doing this for a couple minutes a day, but you don't realize it's bringing you somewhere. It's doing something in your soul. Everybody say this. This is significant. Say it again. Say, this is significant. Whatever it is that you have believed in your life that is insignificant, you need to begin to speak. This is significant. This is significant. Come on, you can make a difference right there in whatever job that you have and whatever family that you have. All the kids that are going back to school, all of our students that are going back to school, you are significant. You're going to make a difference on your campus. You are significant. And I want you to see what happens here in 1 Kings verse uh, 45 now. And it says, in a little while, the heavens grew black. I love that concept, too, because you notice it wasn't just a quick thunderstorm. It grew black. How many know sometimes it's a process? Y'all know God's more about the process than he is about the end? We all want the payoff. God's all about the process. You got the promise. You want the payoff, but you don't realize it's a process. It's a pro- God is growing you. He's, he's stretching your faith because you wouldn't have enough faith to get here, so he's growing your faith. And it grew black, and look what it says. He grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a what? Here we go. There was a great rain, a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. I love this. Yet again, I love the Bible. It says the hand of the Lord was on, Je- was, was on Elijah. And so he gathered up his, 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 uh, his garment. So they you know, wore long robes and had a belt. And it says he took his garment, he stuck it in his belt, and he ran. You know, he's running. The Bible says, and he ran before Ahab. You know what that means? So Ahab's in his chariot. And here's Elijah. What in the world? The Bible actually said that King, uh, that Elijah passes Ahab. I would love to have Usain Bolt's spirit on me. I would love to just fly by. He ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And I would also be at the, the gates and be like, what took you so long? I mean... And then watch what happens. Look at the next verse in chapter 19. So Ahab now is going to tell his wife all that Elijah had done. Think about that conversation. Hey, babe, how was your day? Uh, listen, um, so, you know, we're doing the sacrifice. You know, had all the prophets together, you know. And this is fire. And um, they're all dead. Say what? Yeah, you remember that Elijah guy? Killed them all. His God's real. It's raining. And and instead of being like, oh my God, I was wrong. Watch what she does. Says, then Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah. And she says, this is what the messenger says. So may the gods do to me and more also if if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. You know what she just said, right? You will die by tomorrow. That's what she said. Now let's just pause here, okay? So if you're Elijah, if I'm Elijah, you're thinking, okay, for the last three and a half years, God has fed him with birds. God has fed him with a widow Oh, and I forgot to leave this part. I accidentally left this part out. So the widow had a son. The son dies. Elijah carries the son to his room, lays on the son and says, God, resurrect him. And he comes back to life. Oh, I forgot to leave that one out. I'm sorry. That was, that's a big one. You raise him to life. And then you've got the fire come down from heaven and rain. So when she says, you're going to die tomorrow, here's my message. Hey, I got a message for her. Bring it on. Do you know who I am? I will make it rain. That's, that's what you expect, right? You expect him to just be so confident in God's miraculous power. But watch. Verse 3. Then he was, everybody say the word. What? He's afraid. And he arose, and now watch this. Now he's on the run, but he's on a run for a whole different reason. He's on the run for his life. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. What? Saying, I've had enough. I've had enough. Take me out. Take me out. So here's what I know. If the enemy can't kill your faith in isolation, and if he can't kill your faith in the invisible, and if he can't kill your faith in the insignificance, guess what he's going to kill it in? Intimidation. Intimidation. So chapter 4 is now intimidation. How many know that uh, Jezebel knew she couldn't kill him? You know why I know that? She sent a message. It's like text message, I'm going to kill you. No, you're not. You all talk. She knew she couldn't kill him. If she could kill him, she would have sent somebody to go actually kill him. But instead, she sent a message. And how many know that's how the devil does? You know the devil can't kill you. The devil can't touch you. The devil can't be in you. You know what he can do? He can intimidate you. The Bible says he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but he can't actually devour you, but he can roar pretty loud. How many of you heard that roar before? And that roar is intimidating. And I'm going to tell you what else it is, because I don't think he actually was afraid of her as much of he was exhausted. Three and a half years, God had brought him on this journey. God's provided for him. And I honestly just think he thought when the fire came down and he killed all the 850 prophets, like it was done. Like I did my part. Nation's back in order. Everybody's loving Jesus. We're good. And then he gets a message from Jezebel that says, "Uh uh-uh, we're not that good. I'm going to kill you. And I think his intimidation and in his exhaustion, led to depression. Which led to, take my life. I'm done with this. Any of y'all fought for something or prayed for something or done something for so long and it hasn't worked out the way that you thought it would and you just are depressed? Like you, you just, you thought it was going to go a certain way. And it, it just didn't go that way. And you are just now like, I'm done. Any mamas in here just say like, I'm done. I'm just done. You know, when they say like, this is your son. I mean, no, my wife calls me and says, you need to deal with your sons. It's not our sons anymore. It's now my sons. You know what that is? That's exhaustion talking. I'm done. I'm done. I've said it. I've repeated it. I've done. I'm, I'm just done. Deal with. And it's almost like he's saying that. And actually, if you go and you read the, 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 the rest of that chapter, Elijah says, God, your people, the people of of Israel, which was actually him, he was a part of it, but he was like, your people, they're doing this and they're doing that. And and it was almost like he was just separating himself and he he was just done. You know, the truth is, you can be successful on the outside and suffering on the inside. Think about this. He just rained down fire. He just said, let it rain, and it rained. He said, don't let it rain, and it didn't rain. I mean, from the outside, everything looks amazing. But how many know it can be raining on the outside, and you can have a drought on the inside? And there's some of you in here, I think I'm speaking to somebody in here. On the outside, you look successful, you look put together, you look like you got it going on, and on the inside, you are in drought. You're suffering. And you've had some honest moments with God where you've said, God, if this is what it's going to be like, take me out. Take me out. And, and if you haven't said that at probably some point in your life, you probably haven't walked with God long enough. Because <laughs> there's always a time and there's always going to be a season in our life where we just feel like, God, where are you? God, I'm done with this. God, I'm done fighting. God, I'm done praying. God, I'm done doing this. And I love God's response. You ready? Watch this. We'll wrap it up. The next verse says, And behold, an angel touched him. And he said, Hey, get up and eat. Hey, man, I want to die. 
hey, you want a chicken biscuit? You want a... <laughs> I'm done with the chicken biscuits, all right? <laughs> he says, I had to just get some humor in there. Y'all were getting way too serious on me for a minute in there, all right? Get up and eat. Watch the next verse, watch. Verse 8 says, and he arose and he ate and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, I, I think the, um, the angel coming and giving him food was, was for physical nourishment. I think he was just physically exhausted and draining. Um, I mean, he just ran like Usain Bolt. I'd be pretty tired and hungry myself. But I honestly think it was more than that. I think there was some soul and emotional strength that he was also getting. Here's why I know that. Because of where he tells them to go. He says, listen, I want you to go to, to the Mount of Horeb. Now, for those in here that may or may not know what Horeb is, Horeb is the, mount, uh, the mountain where Moses went and communed with God face to face. It's also the place where Moses went and the Ten Commandments were given. So a place where God's encountered people in a big, powerful way. So here's what he's saying. You ready? Oh, you're depressed? Get up, eat, rest, and go spend time with God. That's his, that's his prescription. And there Elijah came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, now here we go. Watch. The word of the Lord came to him. Some of you are in this room and you haven't heard the word of the Lord in a long time. And you've come here today because you need a word from the Lord. And maybe the word of the Lord for you is get up, eat, rest, go spend some time with Jesus. Go spend some time with Jesus. Can I tell you that the only way that I've ever gotten out of depression in my heart and in my life is when I spent time with Jesus. We can try to muster all that we need to do to get out of depression and get out of this place, but it's really the presence of God. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And some of you right now feel restless. You feel dry. You feel empty. You feel depleted. And I pray that today would just be an oasis for you. Be an oasis for you. So if you're in a place of isolation, know that that place of isolation is preparation. If you're in a place of invisible, you've been praying things, you're believing things, but you're not seeing things, know that God is working even while you're waiting, even while you're praying. If you're in a place of insignificance, know that God celebrates the smallest of changes. I tell people all the time, when your kids are walking, when your kids are real young and they're learning to walk and they take one step and they fall, do you spank them? Some of y'all are like, yeah, I did, I spanked my, you are bad parents, okay. <laughs> no. You know what you did? Here's what you did. You ready? You know what you did? Way to go, baby! Get on up. And then you just take another step with him. You are doing awesome. You're so awesome. And then you celebrated every small step that they took. And I'm here today to tell some of you, you've taken some falls, but God celebrates every small step you've taken. He looks at you in here and he's like, they're in my house. Praise God. Praise me. They're in my house. God is celebrating every small step you take. And you're learning to take more and more. And then maybe you're in a place of intimidation, and depression, exhaustion. God just wants to refresh you today. We're all in one of those seasons. Maybe you're in all four. Maybe you're going through different ones. Whatever it is, I know God wants to meet with you today. So I want us to do this. I want us to bow our heads in this place. I want us to just have a moment. If you, if you don't mind, just kind of being as still as possible. I want us just to honor the presence of God in this place. If you would just say, Pastor Josh, you know what? I'm in one of those isolation, invisible, insignificance, intimidation. I'm in, I'm in one of them. 
If that's you, would you just shoot your hand up in the air so I can know who that is in this place? Come on, those hands going up all over the place. Yes, 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 yes. You can put it down. I want, I want you just to do this. this is, I know this is kind of a little step of faith. I'm not asking you to come forward, but I would ask you to stand. Would you just stand? If that was you, you raised your hands, you just stand. Just, just a sign of God, I'm, I mean this, I'm, I'm here. Now, would you do this? Would you just, just kind of lift your hands? I believe our hands are symbols of our heart. God, today we just receive the rain. God, receive the presence of God in this place. God, I thank you, Lord, for every person that's in this room. God, I pray, Lord, over their soul. Those who have been in a dry and weary place, I pray the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Breathe on them. Breathe fresh life into them, into their soul, into their spirit physically in their body. Maybe it's been something they've been praying for over their body and it just continually gets worse. I pray, God, that you would help them to pray again, to dream again, to believe again, to speak life again. God, I pray, Lord, that you would show them that maybe even some of this is preparation. Maybe you're preparing them, preparing their hearts, preparing their lives for where you're bringing them. God, give them perspective today. God, I thank you, Lord, that you speak and just as we saw Elijah is a man just like us, God, I know you want to work through your people just like you did in Elijah. So God, I pray, Lord, you be with them. Strengthen them. Strengthen them. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And just while we're just praying, I just want to pray for one more group of people, and that's anybody in here that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. You know, a lot of what we're talking about is about relationship. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. God is speaking. And today, God's drawing your heart. He's been drawing your heart all morning. And that's him. That's his spirit that's drawing you. And if you're in here and you are not born again, and you um, maybe, maybe you've been to church, maybe you've been to communion, maybe you've done baptism, but born again really has just never surrendered your heart to the Lord. Um, I want to pray for you in this place. And so uh, would you just bow your heads? And if that's you, I, I just want you to pray this with me. Say, say, dear Lord Jesus, everybody repeat this. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for sending Jesus to be my substitute to pay for my sins. Today, I recognize my need for you. I'm lost without you. Today, come. Forgive me, cleanse me, and fill me. Use me. From this day forward, I surrender to you.